RNZ reported recently that support for students with mental health and well-being problems has become the number one issue for secondary school principals. Earlier this year, we talked to Cambridge University neuropsychologist Professor Barbara Sahakian. A study of hers found a strong link between reading for pleasure at a young age and school performance later. The earlier that children start reading for enjoyment, the better it is for their verbal learning, memory and speech development. They're also less stressed, they behave better, they spend less time on screens, they sleep more soundly. The research was carried out on 10,000 children in the United States. There's new research from her team that we want to talk about, this time using data from the UK Biobank to reach conclusions about mental health. A great deal of depression can be avoided by drinking in moderation, not smoking, getting exercise, eating and sleeping well, uh, those factors. We can guess all that maybe, but Perhaps the vital nature of living life like that doesn't quite sink in. This study used neuroimaging to see differences in the brain, changing volumes of areas like the hippocampus, vital for memory and learning, and the amygdala for emotional regulation. At last count, more than 12% of New Zealanders were on antidepressants, 16% of females, 9% of males, 22% of women over age 65. That was in 2016, and by 2020, 70 odd thousand more people were taking them. The Ministry of Health has said this is a good thing because more people are getting help. Not all antidepressant use is for actual depression as well. We asked Barbara Sahakian about her latest findings. We looked at the biobank, which was nearly 300,000 people. So we looked at the data there and it was a, um, you know, we followed them up for almost nine years. So it was a very large sample followed up over on average nine years. And, um, And then we looked to see who became depressed. But we had taken lifestyle measures at the beginning uh, before anybody was depressed, and then we followed them up. And we, what we found was that a healthy lifestyle reduced your risk of depression by 57%. Which ones are the most important, do you think? Well, we, we also looked at that, actually, and it turns out that having seven to nine hours of sleep on a regular basis, you know, each night, is was one of the key factors. So I think we all, we all can know what that's like because if you get a good night's sleep you tend to wake up and feel very positive about things like you can you know get through your work and you're looking forward to seeing your colleagues and and you're you know ready for a a nice social life and whatnot so I think that the sleep was the most thing and of course that sleep is important for many reasons because it helps us with our cognition we we actually consolidate our memories during sleep and sleep is also ex- extremely important for the immune system. And we, uh, during sleep, we uh, remove the toxic waste byproducts from the brain. So that's also very important. There's a definite genetic component to depression, isn't there? But you think that lifestyle is more important. You may be dealt a bad hand, but you can successfully play that hand with good living. Yes, that's right. So uh, we looked at, uh, you know, genetic risk scores. And what we found was even uh, those with the um, lowest genetic risk scores were 25% less likely to develop depression. So actually, the lifestyle factor of uh, having a healthy lifestyle and reducing it by 57% was, was, uh, you know, stronger, stronger effect, bigger effect. We're describing a world these days when we talk about it in which 
people feel more alienated, lonely, and perhaps without purpose uh, more than in the past. I know this can't be proven, but a lot of people intuit it. So those people will find it difficult to eat better, sleep better, drink less, and have more of a social life. That's what we're battling, isn't it? Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, obviously, the COVID-19 pandemic um, and the lockdowns associated with them was extremely stressful for people. And that uh, took its toll on many people. And and obviously, people were learning to be isolated, so to speak, and, and also not to go near people and things like that. So it's been harder for some people to readjust and get back into the swing of things, so to speak. But social contact is incredibly important for people. So that was one of the uh, top factors in the healthy lifestyle that we studied. You know, having frequent social connections is so important. We are social animals and we have a social brain. So it's really important that we interact with friends, family and colleagues. And that will make us feel much better. But it's also good for our cognition And we did find that in another study that we uh, did, which we published in the journal Neurology, we found that um, if you didn't have, uh, if you were socially isolated, you had a much higher risk of becoming demented. So it's very important for your mental um, capabilities as well as for your mood that you are socially connected. So when you look at all the lonely people, I, I know exercise is a vital part of this. I suppose if you do exercise, you are putting yourself in situations where you're probably going to meet people, come across people, stop to chat to people, maybe join a club for exercising and so on. That would seem to be a vital route into socializing for people who are lonely. Yeah, that's perfect because then you can get two of these healthy lifestyles in a single go. So you, as you say, you've got the social connectedness of, of, I don't know, jogging with somebody or doing Pilates with a group or whatever you're, you're doing. And, uh, but you also have the social contact uh, during the course of that. And, and lots of people, as you know, afterwards might have a, a cup of tea together or, or, you know, some water or something and chat for a while afterwards. So it is a good way to meet people and, and, um, you know, have the social contact as well as get the exercise done. Professor Barbara Sahakian is with us. The trouble is it's an age of instant fixes, isn't it? And antidepressants, uh, albeit that they can take six weeks to kick in or so, they still offer a faster road to relief. Would that be fair? The last thing some depressed people feel like doing is exercising and for the reason of being depressed or anxious, the sleep suffers too. You're you're absolutely right about that. Once you are depressed, then that begins to affect your lifestyle choices, so to speak. So I always say that, you know, it's much better really to avoid that if you can. So so these, you know, having these healthy lifestyles will help you reduce the risk of ever getting depressed, which is much better for you because, you know, Depression is, is really an awful thing. Anybody who knows somebody who's been depressed or has been depressed themselves will know that it's, uh, it is it is a lot of suffering for somebody. So it's better if you don't become depressed. And also it puts you at a greater risk if you've been depressed of, even if you get better, relapsing again at some point in the future. So it's better if you can avoid it. And some of these activities also help reduce stress. So they're good on a daily basis. We talked about exercise. That's great for reducing stress. 
We're forever hearing about things that should be taught in school, uh, in schools like money management, various life skills. Should what you have found be thoroughly emphasised as well? It sounds like a rhetorical question, actually, because the answer is probably yes, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and and for many reasons. Because if if children are taught a healthy diet to begin with, then um, they can avoid becoming obese. I mean. It used to be that years ago, uh, you know, you would not see type 2 diabetes in children. But now it's uh, really on the increase. And um, so, you know, obesity is, is a really a difficult problem. And if you're obese as a child, it's very hard to then, you know, slim down. So really, if you can help them exercise, you can help them have a healthy diet you're partway there to ensuring that they have better physical health and better mental health, uh, which will stand them in good stead. And, um, you know, we talked on last time I was on the program about reading for pleasure. And if you can get them to do things like that, then when they're adolescents, they'll actually have much better mental health. They'll have less depression, less anxiety, which tends to be on the increase in that adolescent age group. And uh, so these are things that we can do to uh, protect people and make sure that they're not at risk of mental health disorders. But are we winning the war or are people like you, you know, winning the war in terms of having a healthier society or is it going the other way? What's what's your intuition about where we're heading? Well, I'm I'm optimistic about these things. I think as people learn more about what they should be doing, you know, they will get out there and jog more. They will go for fast walks. They will cycle. And, you know, it's quite enjoyable. As you said, if you do it in a group, too, these things become much more fun. So I'm fairly optimistic that we can uh, break through this. And, you know, it would be good to make sure that people are socially connected. I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's not good for individuals to be isolated and uh, so I think we could move ahead with something and uh, be more positive about taking up some of these opportunities. And, and certainly if we teach children at a young age, it will be a good habit. They can learn these uh, lifestyles and it will um, you know, just be a, a good habit for them in the way that learning how to brush your teeth is and doing it every day. Understood. Very good to talk with you again, Barbara, and thanks for the conversation and the new research. It's great. Thank you very much.